All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anyone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommended with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word. Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me today from TheRinger.com is Jonathan Charks. Charks, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. So before we get into all the college stuff and the prospects and the NBA draft, uh, let's talk about a couple of things that happened in the NBA last night. This was, uh, it's not so often that you see uh, NBA history made regarding uh, young players, yet last night the Phoenix Suns started the youngest lineup in the history of the NBA. Tyler Eulis, 21, Devin Booker, 20, Derek Jones Jr., 20, uh, Marquise Chris, 19, and Alex Len, 23. And they said that it, they said I, I, the craziest thing was they said it was uh, younger than all but one Sweet 16 team. Did you happen to see this, by the way? Now I was watching the college games. No, no, no. I, I, mean, just the, I mean just the stat. Did you see when they, when they posted oh, yeah. this? Yeah, I, they lost by 30 points to the Nets, too. So <laughs> here's the thing that's historic right there. No, no, no. What I meant is, did you see the team that they said it was younger than? Uh uh-uh. uh. I would have never gotten this. Who do you think? They were younger than. No, I did see this. It was Purdue, wasn't it? I did see this stat somewhere. That's like seriously the last, maybe the last team I would have picked, right? Because what? Purdue is not typically, typically, you would think if Purdue's having a really good season. They're probably veteran laden and they're certainly not a one and done school typically. Right. They don't get that kind of right. How are they? How is like the youngest team, not like Kentucky or UCLA or one of the like that was crazy. Purdue was the youngest team left. And they even got Spike Albrecht on that team. He's got to be like 24, 25 by now. Spike Albrecht. (laughs) Uh, He had his moment. He had his moment. Spike Albrecht had his moment, but he does. So anyways, they started the youngest roster in NBA history. But I just want to, on on that point, rather than talk about them getting destroyed by the Nets, um, which of the guys on the Suns would you really bank on, right? Because if I'm, if I'm McDonough and I'm figuring out what my future is and what I want to build around, what do I build around if I'm the Suns, in your opinion? Well, I think Booker, he's definitely shown the most so far in his NBA career. And at the very least, he's going to be a really good shooter who can get his own shot and he can kind of make plays off the dribble too and pass. So I, I think to me, he's your one building block right now. You can kind of lock in. Okay. You would not be, is there anybody else that you would be like, all right, it'd have to be a King's ransom um, in order to move off him. Like, have you seen enough out of Chris or Len or obviously Dragon Bender hasn't played all that much this year, but is there anybody else that you would, if you're running that team, say, I don't want to say untouchable, but it would take something crazy to get him off my hands? I mean, probably not. I liked Chris and Bender in the draft. I mean, they're both really young. They both have a lot of talent. And I think you want to see what you have in them. There's really no point in trading them because you'd be trading low after you just drafted them. But I wouldn't say I was like, I couldn't move them either if they came down to it. So what is the best to what what is the best to put with Booker? 
What do you think is, uh, if, if I'm trying to build a team with Booker in mind, what do I need? I think you want a lot of length and speed on the perimeter because Booker's never going to be a great defensive player. So you want to play him with somebody who can kind of hide him on defense and take the tougher assignment on the wings on a nightly basis, probably. Gotcha. All right. So anyway, that was uh, that was NBA history. They started the youngest. I kind of like Euless, by the way. I know people were kind of he he was probably helped by the success of Isaiah Thomas in the NBA because it, when when Euless came up, nobody was ever talking about uh, his career or the way he played. It was always about. Hey, there ain't a guy, a lot of guys that look like Tyler Eulis that have had a lot of success in the NBA, right? It was his height that was the biggest knock. But I mean, this year, I think I like what I've seen out of him. I think I think Eulis is going to have a career. Yeah, he's a good player. I mean, like there's just literally a ceiling on a five nine guy. I think too, when you're that size, you got to be able to score the ball because you're going to give a lot of points on defense. So you got to get those points back on offense, however you can. Yeah, what's the ceiling, Charks? Thirty points a game. That's what Isaiah <laughs> Thomas does. Hey, let's see it in the playoffs, right? I haven't been on the first round yet. Isaiah Thomas does has done more for short basketball players than anybody in a long, long time. Is that not yeah, fair? Yeah, no question about it. Definitely. He's like the Dirk for like tall white guys, but for short guys. <laughs> like, I'm next Isaiah Thomas. Like, I got this in my game. Uh, the other things that happened last night, J.J. Barea got thrown out of a game, which that should be the biggest headline in the NBA. J.J. Barea got thrown out of a game for roughhousing, no less. And then if I told you that the man on the opposite end of the roughhousing was one Blake Griffin. <laughs> All right, this is preposterous. Uh, JJ had had enough of Blake, I guess. So Blake comes to set a screen, and JJ Barea gives him a little forearm shiver. The visual of this is, like the mental visual, Like if you told me, that J.J. Barea got thrown out of a game for a flagrant two against Blake Griffin, the mental visual would be hysterical. And then um, when uh, you actually see it, it is 50 times more hilarious. Yeah, I would think like he jumped on Blake's back and like he was riding down the floor or something. Or he did Not the Van he Gundy. Like, he did the Van yeah, Gundy exactly. like grabbed on Alonzo Mourning's leg. Like a Shrek and Donkey thing or something. But instead, his cage, his cage fought Blake to the ground, apparently. JJ's core strength was overwhelming, Blake. Yeah, there is that. The funniest is there was a picture, a still that was going around. And, like, I guess it's, like, right after the shiver. And so, like, Berea's kind of, like, flexed up. His arms kind of flexed up. And then you've got Blake with both arms extended flying backwards. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> well, you got to say, though. JJ's five foot six. If you're on the NBA at five foot six, you're a pretty tough guy. Like you got to be a tough guy to survive with that size. Oh, by the way, yeah, short guys are really representing. This is a second short guy story we've got. And it's a, new, it's a trend. All right, but people wonder why everybody rolls their eyes at the Clippers. Like that's the perfect example. I mean, that is preposterous. Blake Griffin acted like he like there, there was a sniper in the building or something. That was. There's no way that J.J. Barea hit you that hard. There's just no way. I, I Or or am I not giving Barea enough credit? Maybe he's like a roughhouser. Well, to me, like, they complain to the refs so much, and they flop all the time. Like, you can't do time. both. It's, it's ridiculous. All the time, man. But I guess now, uh, so do we Do we take, we, we take that cir- circumstance and we say, all right, uh, they are floppers, and Blake Griffin gets a massive tough guy or fake tough guy demerit for this. Or do we now 
elevate J.J. Barea to goon status. <laughs> I kind of like that. You're, I mean, you're a Memphis guy. You remember when Zebo just choked out Blake in a playoff series? Like, it's been known for a long time. Well, they, listen, they, every every time the Grizzlies play the Clippers, I, I post a picture of, of Zebo mounting him. <laughs> he just mounted him, yeah. like laid on the ground. And Blake Griffin looks like he is... You know, like like he's just seen, you know, the devil incarnate or something. <laughs> he doesn't want that life. That's no, absolutely not. But it's one thing for Zebo to roughhouse you. I I don't. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't walk out of the house, and that's me. I couldn't walk out of the house if I thought like JJ Barea. If I thought like I really got chucked to the ground by JJ Barea, much less Blake Griffin. I don't even know how he looks in the mirror this morning. Well, he's learned from Chris Paul, like whatever it takes to win, but just break any rule, any norm, whatever, punch a guy underneath the belt, whatever it takes. All right. You know what is lost in this? Because obviously we goof on the situation and, and, the, and the video is hysterical for anybody that hasn't seen it. But beyond that, the Clippers lost. Dallas beat them last night and the Clippers have not looked good as of late. And I wonder, do you think that there is something awry with the Clippers? Um, Cause they're healthy now. I mean, they got their guys by and large. Is there something wrong with the Clippers or is this veteran team that's been around each other for a long time, for a lot of seasons, don't really give a shit who they play in the playoffs. And so these are the kind of things that happen, you know, when you're, when you're talking about uh, 10, 12 games left in the season, you, yeah, they're not going to be going hard every single night. Or, and are, am I going to see a radically different Clippers in the playoffs? That's what I'm wondering. Or is there something awry? I mean, they've been the same team for like six years. You're not going to see a different version of the Clippers. They're the exact same team they were in like 2010. So they know who they are. What do they care, right? That's what I kind of think, right? Like, I, I, what I mean, I watch these games and you see them like losing a game like the Dallas game last night, or you see them losing some other ones recently, and you wonder, is that just, it's a regular season game, you know, coming down the home stretch. And so that's not peak Clippers and what can I expect? Um, or is there something, is there something up, right? And, and there, cause I think, listen, everybody's thought they're going to be a hard out, right? Or do you not think they're going to be hard? I think they're going to I mean, be hard. They'll, out. Be, they'll be a hard yeah. out for sure. I mean, they got too much talent. They got too much talent. Um, all right. Let me ask you about another thing that popped up yesterday, which was good old New York uh, back in the mix. And I know you've written a lot about X's and O's throughout the year. Let me get your thoughts on uh, Jeff Hornacek saying the following regarding um Regarding the triangle, he said, uh, if we turn around and have a different way to, uh, that we start, go write it however we're going to run it next year. If it's full triangle, it's possible. You never know how these things will fit. Maybe my second year is helpful for us. And he was talking about, uh, he said, do we have the right guys to uh, fit, fit right fit of guys running the system? If we think that we can somehow with a fresh start at training camp and go with it right off the bat, if that helps us and Phil and Steve Mills, uh, we think the same guys on this team could have a different outlook on it, then we'll stay the same. If not, we'll look at other guys. Obviously, every time the triangle comes up, Carmelo Anthony totally craps on it, but it's this idea that Hornacek is now publicly saying I shouldn't have tried to meld, you know, the up-tempo free-flowing stuff with the triangle next year. We're just going hundred percent triangle. What say you Turks? 
I mean, I respect it. Cash those checks. He's making five million bucks a year. What do you want him to say? Like, well, if your boss tells you different, you got to do it sometimes. All right. Do you buy that? It, all right. I get that he is doing his boss's bidding. When he let's just take the the actual statement. It was a mistake to blend the triangle with more up tempo style of basketball. What do you think? I mean, it was a mistake to give Noah what seventy million dollars. A trade for Derrick Rose. Like, I'm not sure there's a system in basketball you can run with those guys at this point in their careers to win. He's doing the best he can with a pretty pretty bad mix of guys. Right? In in this day and age, do you think a team could run the triangle and be successful? Or has its time passed? It'd be tough because they don't get a lot of threes. There's a lot of long twos. But if you had good enough players, I mean, if you had Shaq and Kobe, I'm sure it would still work. And or Jordan and Pippen. Like, if you have good players, it'll figure itself out. Is Porzingis a good fit for the triangle? Because that's what you got to build around there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, you play him. He's such a perfect fit for, like, the modern spread pick and roll offense. It's kind of crazy to make him play out of the post all the time. So in that sense, I don't think so. When we come back, we are going to talk about some of the uh, NBA prospects and with these NBA teams, and we're monitoring their record and what kind of draft pick they can have, uh, who they might get and who could move up in the NBA draft based upon their Sweet 16 and Elite 8 performances. We'll do that right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by the Ringer University Podcast. That's where you can find teed up hosts Mark Titus and Tate Frazier breaking down every game during March Madness. Subscribe to Ringer University right now and let our college basketball experts be your buddies for the whole tournament. All right, Chark, so you mentioned you've been watching the college games. You've been writing a ton about the prospects and the teams that are involved still in college basketball. Um, I wondered last night when I was watching Kansas, it does feel like there's starting to be a little buzz about Josh Jackson and maybe not going uh, three or four or where he has been slotted the whole time. I think most every mock draft – has had Markel Fultz from Washington and Lonzo Ball from UCLA at the top, and then Jackson and a couple others, Tatum from Duke, et cetera, behind them. Do you think that Josh Jackson, his performance so far in the tournament, and who knows what is next over the next couple of games, could elevate him to a spot where an NBA team says, that's the kid we have to take number one? I mean, he's been awesome in the tournament for sure. He's been like Candace, they've been the best team in the field and he's been just lights out the whole time. I think with Josh, it's just a matter of his jump shot. He's got everything else you want in an NBA wing of the three guys. He's the most athletic. He has a high IQ, great motor. It's just, will a guy with a questionable jumper, can he go number one anymore? If he's knocking down threes, and a team falls in love with this jumper, or they believe it's like it's sustainable, then I can see him going number one. It wouldn't stun me by any means. Isn't that something, though, that we have learned can be fixed? Right? That, like, that's the thing that you can if you get to the NBA. Um, whether you're Kawhi Leonard, whether you're Mike Conley, whether, I mean, you can go on and on and on with guys that have gone to the NBA uh, that were not, that, that the shot was the knock. But if you get in there and you do the repetitions uh, that you can't, like that can improve. And it can, in many cases, improve dramatically. I mean, it can improve, but it could not also. Look at Aaron Gordon. Everyone was saying if that could learn to shoot, if you learn to shoot, he'd be awesome. So right. it's year three now, he hasn't learned. And it's just tough. Like, that's one of those things you got to go to your shooting coach. 
a lot of it you got to talk to the player. What's his work ethic like? What's he like off the court? Cause it's all about, I mean, it's about not about practice, but it's about good practice, learning the right habits. And some guys just don't get better. And it's it's a concern. I tell you this, man, watching that Kansas team, it was it was a little reminiscent of the the Warriors, I mean, when they got going, in the sense that they're there are these lineups they throw out there with uh, Frankie Mason, Graham, LeGerald, Vic, and and Jackson, and they can all put the ball on the deck. They can all do, uh, you know, they can all go to the hole. They can all shoot um, if the, if they're open. And like it's like the tsunami hits with the with this team, uh, the scoring tsunami where they'll just go on these runs. Michigan State played them kind of tight, and then those last whatever seven eight minutes they just. I mean, just demolished them. And then it happened last night. It looked like Purdue was with them there for a little bit. And then when the doors open, it's it's hard to deal with a team that can to get the four guys that can all put it on the deck, right? Yeah, I mean, you've got to score the ball at a really high level to play with Kansas. So this should be a fun game. Oregon's got a much better offense than Purdue or Michigan State. But you're going to have to score probably 85, 90 points to beat Kansas where they're playing right now. Any other pros on the Kansas team? I mean, I, I, obviously there's going to be guys that play in the NBA, but anybody that you really like um, outside of Jackson? I mean, the way Mason and Graham are playing, maybe they're backup point guards in the NBA. I think LeGerald Vick is interesting. If he stays next year, he gets a bigger role. He's got the athletic ability, work on his jumper, come up a primary option. But Jackson's really like the guy there. Okay, so I asked you earlier about Jackson, and if we could look up, and at the end of all of this, he ends up going number one in the NBA draft, that a team ends up taking him. And you do wonder, right, Like, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say the Boston thing comes through, and and, and they get the pick, because they they got the Nets pick, right? Well, they don't, Yeah. if they're going to re-sign Isaiah, they don't need Lonzo Ball, and they don't need Markel Fultz. So... That may be a right. Maybe they take a Tatum, or maybe they take a, you know, a Josh Jackson. Let me b- ask you about those other two. Um, I'll get to Lonzo in a second because I actually got to see him up close and personal yesterday at their uh, at the at UCLA's practice before the tournament. Um, Markel Fultz has been, you know, the prohibitive favorite to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He is the only one of those at the very top that we're not going to get to see, outside of maybe Dennis Smith from NC State. We're not going to get to see him anymore like his like uh, whatever his tape is done in terms of his college career in your mind if you say that you think Jackson or possibly a ball or somebody else could move up um, I do wonder how how firm do you think Fultz's grasp on being the number one pick is I mean I still think he's the favorite he's got by far the highest floor of all those guys it's just hard to see Fultz not being an elite point guard for a long time. Like his ability to score the ball off the dribble and make plays. It's really, he's such an advanced player. He could have played the NBA last year and been a starting point guard, I think. So, I mean, I would think that he'd still be number one. It'll probably come on to who gets the, wins the lottery, really. I mentioned that I saw Lonzo Ball in person yesterday. Charks, I've never seen a guy shoot like this. I mean, I posted it on Twitter yesterday. People could go, uh, go back and check it out. But I slow moded. I mean, I was right next to the kid. The ball is like at his left temple as he is releasing. I mean, it, on TV, it looks like there's a hitch to the shot. But seeing it in person, I've honestly never seen a guy shoot like this in my life. When I put up the video, everybody's like, that shit's so ugly. Nobody, will let, you know, he won't be able to get that off in the NBA, whatever. But I'll tell you this, every damn time he shot it, I swear it went in. 
I've never seen I, it, it. It's a jarring visual because it looks just unlike anything I've ever seen, but the damn thing goes in all the time. What do you make of the Lonzo ball shot and those mechanics? And do you think that should be a, a real demerit? I mean, it's a little bit like Kevin Martin. That's probably the only guy even close with like the sidewinder thing going on. I mean, for me, like if the shot goes in, it's like, I remember like watching Sean Marin in Dallas. It went in. I don't know how, but it did. So it's okay. <laughs> if, if it's weird. I do think it's a concern because how Lowy brings the ball, it's hard for him sometimes to shoot off the dribble, which is why you see him take so many step back shots to get space for a shot. But if you can make a 30 foot step back shot consistently, which it appears that he can, I mean, it's all, it's all good, I guess. I will say this, like the, everything else about the guy is totally smooth. And I know this is going to sound weird, but just like the way he moves, the way he like walks around, the way he runs up and down the court, like there is a fluidity to him that stands out. Like he is everything else. That's what's so weird. Everything else, like he is like the ball looks like it's on a string when he's dribbling it. Um, you know, like I say, when he runs up and down the court, when he jumps, he can just he can glide, but then he shoots it and it's like, what the hell is that? Um See, here's my theory about that. So shout out to my man Danny Chow. He did an article on the ball family last year. And basically the dad's kind of like a Richard Williams. I'm sure you've heard obviously about LeVar Ball at this point. But he who? had Lonzo shoot he had Lonzo <laughs> shooting fifty footers like ten years old. When you're shooting the ball that far away from the basket that young, it's kind of mess, it's going to mess up your mechanics a little bit because it's a far distance. He had him shooting what? 50 footers? Like half court shots, like routinely <laughs> in the middle of like the offense. Like, oh yeah, pull up half court and shoot the ball. Okay. <laughs> so disappointed that LeVar is, uh, is not in Memphis this weekend. I couldn't believe oh, it. Oh, that's, that's, that's too bad. Yeah, he's awesome. Broke my heart. And then uh, uh, like I said this yesterday, but I was talking to somebody uh, and they were like, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think LeVar may just lay low after the LeBron stuff. You flip on TV, he's on first take yelling at <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. I was like, yeah, he's really that laying low. amazing television. I love that. He's really laying low. He's, got, <laughs> he's on first take this morning. You see what he said? He was like, LeBron warned me. So what? What's he going to do? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you talked about Fultz. Uh, Lonzo Ball. Do you think that all right, so most of the most of the box have Fultz, Ball, Jackson, Tatum, and then some of them are getting a little higher on Monk. And I'm interested in your opinion on him and if there is something that can happen with him over the course of like obviously you got the UCLA game tonight, um, may have a run to the Final Four. Hell, they could end up winning the national championship. Um him and also uh, De'Aaron Fox, the point guard at Kentucky, and which of those two guys you are higher on and which of them could have uh, more to earn over the course of the next couple of games? I would say Fox is the better player, but I think Monk will have an easier time in the NBA. It'll be an easier transition for him. It's easier to fit him into a role on a good team than Fox. I think Monk pretty much is who he is. Like the things he needs to improve on, like playing defense, running point, he doesn't do it very much playing next to Fox, who kind of controls the ball and guards the best player most of the time. Whereas Fox could make more money. I mean, he's got to guard Lonzo, but tonight, if he, I, I would say he got the better of Lonzo back in December. 
if he can do that again, he can make a case to move up on the draft. I think Monk pretty much is who he is at this point. You think he is who he is, which is what? What is the ceiling on Malik Monk? I have heard people say, "Oh, he's pro-, you know because he doesn't he doesn't rebound or pass a ton, so he's J.R. Smith." Which obviously J.R. Smith had a really good career and has been part of uh, of a great team, uh, a champion team. Um, and then I've heard other people compare him to to obviously much greater players, um, you know, perennial All Star level players. So where are you at on Monk in terms? Like, what is he? Is he perennial All Star ceiling, or is he more like J.R. Smith or Jamal Crawford or some of these guys that are big bucket getters, but may not be the guys that we see on the All Star team every year? I would lean more towards uh, Jamal Crawford. I like to compare him to Lou Williams a lot, but like okay. imagine if Lou Williams is like a 41% three-point shooter. So if he goes somewhere where he can play with like Giannis or he goes to Philly, plays with Ben Simmons, and he can take like 20 shots a game, he'll score a lot of points. It's just a matter of where he's going to play. He's not a point guard. He can't really guard bigger players. But you don't think he's going to be a massive star? Well, I mean, it just depends. Like, let's say he goes to Philly and he's playing with Embiid and Simmons. He might score 25 points a game there, but even right. they won't be their best player. Their role, he can score any amount of points his team needs him to score, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just depends like, on whatever your attitude is. Right? It depends on whatever your attitude is towards him, right? Is he, is he, J.R. Smith, that, 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 that's not a bad floor if you're J.R. Smith, right? Now, should you go number five in the draft? I'm not sure about that. But what if you're DeMar DeRozan, right? Well, if you're that kind of bucket getter, which that would be more like, like when you said 25 a game, that's the first name that actually came to mind, right? Yeah, I mean, like he just like he's an off the dribble three point shooter. And he's very athletic, so he can get a shot whenever he wants. So it's just a matter of how much you value that skill, I'd right. say. Okay, so but do you view him? Do you view Monk and Fox clearly behind the other four? Fultz, Ball, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum. Well, to me, it's a top three. I'm okay. not high, as high on Tatum as the other guys, but I think the top three has pretty much separated themselves. Ball, Tatum, and Folds. Not Tatum, Ball, Jackson, and Folds. Ball, Jackson, and Folds. And you think in any in some combination, those will be the top three picks of the NBA draft? Most likely. Um, you never know who's up there. If they need a big man or not. That always kind of, it's about team need a lot of it too. It just depends who wins. But I think they're the three best talents. Is there anybody you're really high on uh, that is not really high in the uh, on the mocks? Uh, I really like Jonathan Isaac from Florida State. I mean, he's high in the mocks, but I think I'd probably have him in the top five. I think most people have him like a seven or eight right now. I think he's been a little underrated. God, how did they get? I mean, they're watching that Florida State team, and then, I mean, they had just athletes on athletes on yeah. athletes, and they just got friggin' drilled by Xavier. And I know Xavier just beat Arizona last night, but good grief. How the hell do you get beat by 25 when you've got that group of players and you've got what you're saying could be a top five to 10 pick in the draft? You should ask Leonard Hamilton that. Chris Mack is really pulling guys' cards, beating Sean Miller and Leonard Hamilton. Like, this is a Brad Stevens like run he's making right now with the talent he has. Well, and he's got a chance to knock off uh, Gonzaga next, right? Yeah, knock off Mark Few, too. It'll be three. Three ducks in a row he knocks off if he does it. Well, and that wouldn't be crazy because if West Virginia could have knocked down some shots, they would have knocked off Gonzaga. And, hell, they shot less than 30%. They just had that a was bunch an of, awful game. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. They just had a bunch of dogs on their team. Whereas, I mean, Xavier, if they got anything, it's they got some real dogs on their team, too. So, Gonzaga could be in for it.
I mean, like to me, few reminds me of, it's a lot like Sean Miller. Like some of the stuff he does in games as a coach, I wonder about, like he didn't play zone till the very end of the second half. Like they couldn't shoot to save their life. West Virginia is staying in man for some reason. Yeah. Uh, do you think the kid from Purdue swing again, hurt himself or helped himself uh, during the NCAA tournament? Uh, he didn't play well last night. It was tough because Jackson guarded him a lot and he's like what 250 pounds he's got to be able to post up like josh jackson you know what yeah i thought i thought that that was the worst thing that happened to him last night was being on that court because he looked so uh, like his lack of athleticism really stood out to me and people scouts have told me they're really worried about his weight and he does look like the kind of guy that you could look up in his 275 pounds and you're like oh crap Right. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's already like you. Usually get bigger when you get in the NBA, and he can't afford to get any bigger. No. When I think he lost weight to get to where he is. Yeah, yeah, he lost a ton. The, it was, it's a big story. He lost like hundred pounds or something. Oh, I mean that's scary, right? I mean, like if you're if you know what I mean, if you're banking a high draft pick on the guy, because I know, especially after that first weekend, people were getting really high on him, and he was getting his he he, he was getting his praise. But, I think he'll probably be like a late first kind of guy. That three point shot helps him a lot, though. He's knocking like three or four threes last night. Yeah. And 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 the other thing is if you rebound, if you average 13, 14 rebounds a game in the Big Ten, you can rebound. You know what I mean? Like you got yeah. a knack for it. And usually that translates to the next level. All right, let me ask you about this article you wrote for TheRinger.com. Six under-the-radar prospects. Now, we've already seen a couple of them, so let me ask you about what you thought about. After or it was, Three of them have played, three of them have not. So, you wrote about Nigel Williams Goss at Gonzaga. You wrote about, uh, how do I say the first name? Raul? Raul Alkins? I think it's Raul, but don't hold me to that. It, it's okay, Raleigh, Raul? like the city Raleigh. Oh, see, there you go. That's all you have to on the podcast. Perfect. Basketball expert. Raleigh Alkins. And then uh, DJ Wilson at Michigan. Okay, so three of those guys played last night. After watching those three guys last night, who did you feel best that you had written about? Uh, it was tough. I really like Alkins, but he had a broken finger on his shooting hand, so he wasn't shooting very well. But, but I like how he's playing. I like his feel for the game. I think he's going to be pretty good. Okay. And the three that are left... Which of them do you prefer the most? If I'm going out of my way to check them out, Devin Robinson at Florida, Jonathan Motley at Baylor, and Joel Berry the second at North Carolina. I think Robinson, just because of his skill set, he's a three and D guy who's a super athlete and can shoot the ball. He can score a little bit. And every NBA team needs a player like that. So you draft Devin Robinson, you've got a sh- pretty much a surefire NBA player and a really easy role to find. All right, so Tay, you've taken in all this about what we've talked about, all the all the draft picks and everything, and you do teed up with uh, Mark Titus for the Ringer U podcast. What do you make of all this? All the, all the things we said, what did you disagree with the most or what did you agree with the most? I just think that uh, Devin Robinson got drafted, DJ Wilson got drafted, and I like Devin Robinson's game, even though I've seen him do, play bad or in the SEC with the tournament. He pretty much got drafted, and Justin Jackson, another guy. Justin Jackson. Yeah, he's in the lottery now. He's like the twelfth pick I'm seeing on Draft Express. So Tate's a I'm proud of him. Homer, though. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, Tate is a. T- Come on, I'm just saying he's in the lottery now. All right, let's yeah, he see. Got, he got killed. Oh, he got killed last night. All right, let, let's see how big of a, a North Carolina homer you are, Tate. This uh, Joel Berry. I'm going to get to see him in person tonight because I'm going to go to North Carolina Butler and I'm going to go to Kentucky UCLA tonight. Um, 
obviously there's three or two point guards there with uh, with Fox and Ball that are going to be the big ones that everybody's got their eye on. I know Barry's been a little bit hurt, but is is Joel Barry going to be a starter in the NBA one day? A starter is a stretch. I think he's more like a Shane Larkin type guy. I mean, Yogi Ferrell obviously helps uh, give a chance, but he's just kind of small. So that's really just holding him back. You think he's better than Yogi? Is no, he better than Yogi Ferrell? No, I think he's not as athletic as Yogi. So, I mean, that's what's really stopping him, but he's got a good game. I like Joel. Charts, I think that uh, Tate has proven himself not to be the a blind North Carolina homer. I mean, he 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 is not all in on Joel Berry the second. I love Joel. <laughs> well, he's trying to get Joel to come back to school next year. That's what's really going on. Yeah, I'm pulling the Coach K move. Yeah, Tate, why did you tell me off air that you hate Joel Berry's guts? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And Not, that he's that gonna be happen. the reason if you guys don't win the national title this year. No, Why did you no, say that? No, thing? I never said that. Come on, Verno. <laughs> all right. Do you have a? Uh, so you've been watching all these college games. We've talked about all the prospects that are going to be involved. Who are you? Mo- who is the must see in college basketball now that it stands? I tell you, Jackson's really moved moved up my list. Um, I'm excited to see the Kentucky kids and ball tonight. Um, you know, rare instance where I'll get to see him in person. But uh, for you, Charts, if you could only watch one of these kids play in college, like if I told you all the games are going on at the same time, the guy that you would go out of your way to watch? I mean, Lonzo, no question. He's Lonzo. one of the most fun players you can watch any level of basketball. He's great. What do you think about his team versus Kentucky? That should be an awesome game. That's that's one of the best college games in a while. It was great in the regular season. It's even better now, I think. I do kind of have this feeling that, uh, you know, th- there is the – you know how we get to the NBA playoffs and a team will play a game and then the next game after – the team that lost makes all these adjustments? And I do think there's something to that. The fact that UCLA busted them so bad um, earlier in the year that this time around – if you're UCLA, you go, shit, just do what we did, right? Whereas Kentucky, I'll be surprised if Cal Perry doesn't, doesn't change up that game plan. And so I actually think that it's I think that it's wise that the line has moved in the favor of Kentucky. I, I would be kind of surprised if Kentucky didn't win tonight, honestly. I would say, like, watch the big men. Like, everyone's talking about Fox first ball, but TJ Leaf really kind of bullied Kentucky in the first game. And that's kind of the key matchup, I think. Can they handle TJ Leaf up front? Fair enough. Charks, you're the man. Enjoy this uh, weekend watching all these games, and uh, we'll keep an eye on all of these prospects. Thanks, brother. Yeah, enjoy Memphis. That'll be fun to watch tonight. I'm, I'm jealous, man. That should be awesome. The only thing that would be better is if I was sitting with LeVar Ball. Yeah, there's some hashtag content for you right there. I know. I'm, you know what I'm going to try to do? My, and now, this is, this should tell you. Some could say it's a step down. I'm, I'm happy with it. Now I'm going to go try to hang out with... Uh, Blue three, which is the actual bulldog, the Butler bulldog. I like him. I like the little, you know, Did that little white or bulldog? something. The little white bulldog. Yeah, I like him. So if I couldn't hang out with Lavar Ball, I at least want to hang out with the Butler bulldog. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. It's gonna do it for another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Peace.